Welcome to Verse by Verse, the teaching ministry of Pastor John Reed from Calvary Chapel, Northwest Reno. You'll want to grab your Bible and follow along, verse by verse, with Pastor John. That will love people when they do their ministry. I think powerful qualifications for workers, what I like to look for in the church is people that are available, they're humble, they're faithful, they're teachable, they're a team player, and they have a servant's heart. I think those are key attributes. Maybe you're an employer, a manager, you own a business, uh, you work with people. I mean, you're going to want people that you can work with, right? They're going to have a good spirit. They're teachable. They're going to cooperate. They're going to work with you and not battle you. Otherwise, work becomes a bummer when it's always friction, yes? So these are the qualifications and they appoint their seven. Verse 4, But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Here's our two majors, our two priorities. Number one, prayer, to seek God, speak to Him. Number two, Him speak to us, the Word of God. You know, to hear God's voice, we have to focus on these things. There's times in ministry I've struggled and I'd call some of the Calvary Chapel pastors and say, what should I do? And they said, here's what you do. You go into the chapel, you turn off all the lights, and you fall on the altar and you pray. And you pray more. But what about everything else? Everything else doesn't matter. You just get alone with God. You seek his face and you listen for his voice. And then number two, you get into the word. You hear God's instruction. Everything else is secondary to prayer and the word. Do you see it? The disciples are majoring on the majors. Verse 5, And the statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Here is their list of seven But Stephan is on the top. He's special. He's different. He has a reputation that he is spirit-filled, spirit-led, and he has a lot of faith. Do you see it? Full of faith. Stephan will become important. Stephan will move from food ministry into doing signs and wonders and miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit because he opens himself up for God to move, and it will become a transition. You know, Jesus did all the miracles. Jesus had the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but then in Acts, now we see the apostles are moving in the gifts, and it's going to transition again to the workers and to the members of the church. They will move in the gifts just like Jesus did. It is an expansion of ministry. And Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timnon and Paramias and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. Now the last in the list, Nicholas, he is a Gentile who has converted to Judaism, who is now converted to Christianity. 
And it's unusual to see a Gentile in the church because the first church was all Jewish. Go figure. Now it's evolved to where the church is all Gentile and very few Jews in the church. Ironic. So we do have a Gentile from the founding of the church who is a servant or deacon here. Verse 6. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying they laid their hands on them. They sought the Lord, and they laid the laying on of hands. It is a commissioning, a confirmation, a blessing for God to use them. It's a public acknowledgement that these are our leaders, our workers. Verse 7 the word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. What do we want to do? Spread the word. Get the gospel out. People to hear the word of God. This is our priority. And we had a group that are coming to the Lord priests from Judaism are becoming born-again Christians. Bizarre. I think of Martin Luther, and when he became a born-again Christian, and he led the Protestant Reformation, and he translated the Bible in the language of the people, and so many Germans started to become Christian and so many Catholic priests and nuns converted and became born-again Christians. So you have them leaving Catholicism, joining the Protestants, and you have Catholic priests and nuns who are running out and getting married <laughs> and having children as Christians. It is a, a move of God. The word deacon means servant, a type of servant leader who directs and works with other workers. And from the beginning in this chapter, the word deacon or servant means one who comes and just serves. But over time, some churches have evolved and deacons have become power brokers, you know, have a Baptist background. And in the Baptist church, you'll have a board of deacons and a chairman of the deacons. And sometimes the deacons run the show. And they're more powerful than the pastor. And I've seen deacons where they take control and they tell the pastor, you know, pastors come and go and we hire and fire you, but we're the board of deacons. We're here to stay. It's kind of like the old joke about the deacons who hired a new pastor and they said, Pastor, we have good news for you. You could preach as long as you want, but we all leave at 12. <laughs> you know, the deacons. And maybe you've been a part of churches where you've encountered spiritual leaders that they were powerful and they misused their position and their title and their authority. and They hurt people, uh, bishops, pastors, you know, and they're like power brokers. And sometimes you put the wrong person in that position and they become a monster. Maybe you've experienced that at work. You know, they appointed the wrong person to be the boss, and 
the employees are overwhelmed. It's kind of like a chief in Indians. You, you don't want to have a lot of chiefs. You want to have a lot of Indians, right? You can't have a million chiefs bossing a few Indians. You know, they're all running around with their heads spinning. And everybody wants to be a chief, but nobody wants to be an Indian. But Jesus taught a better way, right? The disciples, they wanted to lord it over. Who's the greatest? And Jesus said, you must be a servant. The greatest is the one who's the lowest, the one who serves. A pastor not far from here pastors a large Calvary chapel, and I remember he was originally a janitor at a big Calvary chapel, and he started out, you know, cleaning uh, bathrooms, and, and God used him in ministry, and now he pastors a huge Calvary chapel, but he has a very humble Spirit and God has really used him. And I see that's how God does it. He starts us out humble and, and we work our way up and, and through the ranks. And if we're faithful, God uses us in great, greater things. Uh, when I attended the Calvary Chapel Bible College in Twin Peaks, Lake Arrowhead, Big Bear, uh, all the students were required. We had to serve at the conference center and we called it servanthood. And we had a big retreat center where hundreds of Christians would come from various churches, denominations. Christians would come and pray and seek the Lord and worship and go out in the woods. And we would clean their rooms. We would cook their food. We would serve their tables. We would run the pool, the recreation, the volleyball, whatever they needed. Uh, sometimes we do worship for them, put their rooms together for their conferences. And we had developed an attitude, we're here to serve you so that you will have a spiritual experience with the Lord. And I always loved it when the Korean Christians came because they were hardcore and they really knew how to pray. And they'd get on their faces before God. And I was just so moved by the Korean Christians when they come to the conference center. But it's about servanthood and serving and working for God. Be spirit-led workers, verse 8, and Stephan, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. You see, he's progressing. He runs the food ministry, but he's full of the Spirit. He's full of grace, to be a gracious person, yes. I think of Elena and others that serve in the food ministry. And, you know, did you get enough? And let's give you some more, and we'll deliver it. We'll drop it off. And, and oh, you have a big family here. Take some of these, you know. And giving grace when people come. We had a new family came to our food closet uh, this week, and, and I opened it up, and I said, well, just pick out what you want, and oh, I'm so glad your kids are here, and let me tell you about Sunday school, and show you their classes, and oh, I'd love for them to come, and oh, the thing that the kids wanted was mac and cheese, you know, oh, mac and cheese, and I said, oh, and we got some ice cream, too, oh, yeah, ice cream, you know, and so hopefully we think beyond the physical, and we think of the spiritual, Oh, why don't you come to church? Let me tell you about the Lord. Oh, you know, we offer these ministries. How can we serve you? 
I remember one Sunday we had a woman who came to service and needed food, and one of the ladies in the church said, how can I pray for you? And started praying for her after she had given her food, and it just really touched her in a powerful way. Verse 9. But some men from what was called the synagogue of free men, they had actually been former slaves, but now they're free, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians and some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. There's always opposition. When you minister, when you speak for Christ, when you spread the word, there's people that are going to argue and debate you. And Stephen is powerful. He has the Holy Spirit. He has inspiration. God is giving him the words. And there's no way you're going to win him in a debate. Verse 10. But they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. They couldn't deal with it. They were overwhelmed. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Of course, Moses is the hero of the Jews, the great lawgiver, writes five books of the Bible. He's against Moses. And he blasphemes God. Isn't that what they accuse Jesus of? When he claimed deity that he was the son of God, he has committed blasphemy. He deserves death. Yeah, the way they treated Jesus is the way they will treat us. Verse 12. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came up to him and dragged him away and brought him before the council, the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court of Israel, the power brokers, the ones who sentenced Jesus to death, and they have just beat up our apostles, yes, and threatened them and incarcerated them. And now they're going after our food ministry director. <laughs> Stephan, just one of our workers, but he has the power of God. He's doing miracles and signs and healing and deliverance, and God is using him, and the enemy is just so upset when God uses us. Verse 13, they put forward false witnesses who said, this man incessantly speaks against this holy place, the temple and the law. He's against us. Yeah, he's a threat to Judaism. He speaks against the temple. Isn't that what they said of Jesus? Because Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. But he's speaking of his body, but they misunderstood. Uh, remember, Jesus uh, says to his disciples, they, they go to the beautiful temple and the gold and the silver and the stones and this massive structure worth millions and Jesus says to them, do you see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another which will not be torn down. Matthew 24, 2. Jesus prophesies the destruction of the holy temple. And it's true in 70 AD, the temple is decimated 
as Rome attacks, surrounds, the Jews run into the temple and the Romans set fire to it and all the million dollars of gold melts between the cracks of the stones. And the Romans can't leave millions behind, so they dismantle the temple stone by stone and they steal all the gold from its cracks and crevices. And just like Jesus said, the stones would be dismantled. I've been to the Temple Mount several times, and you go up, it's just flat. There's no more temple on it. It's been dismantled. It's been devastated, as Jesus foretold. Verse 14. And we have heard him say that this Nazarene Jesus will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. It is true Jesus has fulfilled the law. We are not under the law. Jesus is our sacrifice. We don't need a temple. We don't need to sacrifice uh, oxen and sheep anymore. Jesus is our sacrifice once for all. Uh, in Christ, we have been set free. We're under grace and not the law. And Jesus has altered the customs, and we're not practicing Judaism anymore. We're free in Christ. 15, and fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel, angelic, pure, holy, joy. Can you imagine the Holy Spirit is all over him and he has a boldness and an inspiration. Sometimes we start out humbly and God promotes us. What does the scripture say? Humble yourself under the hand of the Lord that he may exalt you. I remember I started out I got saved in the church at eight years old. And I have a music background. I sing, I play the piano. And my pastor would pull me up on the stage and say, come on, Johnny, sing a song for us. <laughs> and I'd be up there all nervous, little kid. But boy, I could sing. And God used that. And then later I helped clean the church and help in the office. And, and you know, as you grow up in the church, you get involved in different things, the youth group and Sunday school. And later I was a helper and then taught and involved in music and the choir and, you know, just all different aspects of the church. And then later God called me to the ministry and he said, God, not me. You know, I can't go in the ministry, be a minister, a pastor. I mean, that's only for super duper Christians, not a nobody like me. And I fought it and I ran from it and God forced me. <laughs> and I did music ministry and youth uh, pastor and associate pastor, assistant pastor, senior pastor. And I've kind of come up through the ranks. And God does that sometimes. He gives you something small and then he gives you something greater. He uses you in something and see if you're faithful. And then he'll put you in charge of something greater. And I've just seen it. I've seen God promote people and use people in powerful ways. What is the point of all this? To get to work. To find your spot. 
to discover your gifts and talents and use them for the Lord and for his church. To find a need and fill it. Can I tell you, there's always needs in the church. There's always positions to be filled. I mean, just by memory, I know we need a sign setter, someone who sets out the signs and invites people to church on the weekend, kids teacher, kids helper. We need a truck driver in the food ministry to help us pick up more food to help more people. Uh, another sound man, another person to do the overhead projector songs, someone to help on the internet. The church is gearing up to do radio. We'll need people to help us do radio work. Greeters, always something. On Friday mornings at 10, we have a thing called servanthood. And we have a gang of people, they come at 10 o'clock every Friday, and they clean the church, and they make the bulletins, and they do office work, and they, they do the grounds, and some of them run over to the Verdi church and fix it all up. And, you know, it's just amazing to see, like, kind of worker bees. And it's kind of fun doing it as a group. We have some can't come on Friday, so they come throughout the week, and they serve, and they work, and they're behind the scenes, and they are doing their work unto the Lord. So there are needs. We're looking. We're asking. There's a place for you here to serve. We will find a place. We are all ministers. You know, it's not just the pastor. Well, the pastor can do everything. No, it's like the apostles. They can't do everything. We need the body, right? And I think what's key in serving the Lord is to be faithful, to stick at it, to find what you enjoy. And when you find your gifting and your talents, you love serving the Lord. And as you give to the Lord, he will bless you and you will find a fulfillment and a purpose and a meaning. And when God uses you in your talents and gifts, you will be blessed. You'll see them get saved. You'll see them get on fire. They'll be crying. They'll be like so ministered to, uh, you know, when you give them food. Oh, thank you for the food. When you pray for them, thank you for praying with me. And, you know, thank you for teaching me ministering. And it's just a blessing to be used by the Lord. God does have a divine calling for you. And he doesn't want to use you in his church and his family. And you have to discover and find your gift, your talent, your spot. You know, are you a nose? Are you a finger? Are you a toe? Now, here's what I've noticed in ministry. People will be excited. I'm a new Christian. I want to serve. I'm new to the church. But then after a couple months, I'm bored. I'm tired. I want to do something else. I quit. <laughs> and so the secret is to persevere, to stick to it, to find the right thing that you're called to and to be faithful to it. And if you jump around, it just it always leaves another hole. It's kind of like your body parts. If your finger says, now I want to be a toe, now I want to be a nose, I want to be an ear. I mean, come on. I need all my body parts in place. And they work together in unity. And there's a joy in serving the Lord and serving with others and, and being on God's team.
and pushing forward the kingdom of light and pushing back the darkness and loving and ministering uh, to people. It's a blessing. Help carry the load. Find your spot in God's congregation. Serve your church. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we love you and we need you and we pray for workers uh, in the harvest field. We pray for servants in your church, those that would be faithful and called and committed. We dedicate them to you. We ask that you do your work here and you build your body and you build the team and you put all hands on battle stations and that your ship and your your family will be served. May we put you first, Lord Jesus, your family second, and the world third. May we get our priorities right. May we be ready to serve and to minister and to expand your kingdom. We do seek your face. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for supporting Verse by Verse, the teaching ministry of Pastor John Reed from Calvary Chapel, Northwest Reno at 246 Courtney Lane, Reno, Nevada, 89523. Our phone number is 775-746-4567 and our webpage is calvaryreno.com. You're always welcome to join our services.